0: So what does propitiation really mean? Why is it so important to the Christian faith? Well, stay tuned today, because we're going to answer those questions and dig deeper into these matters. Hi, my name is Peter Finch, one of the elders here at McGregor Baptist Church, and this is Beyond the Notes. As we gather this past Lord's Day, uh, we talked about the concept of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And as we read a, a verse in Romans 3, we, co- we talked about the term propitiation. Uh, and so today we're going to talk about a little more about what does that mean and how did that actually play out in the life and in the ministry of Jesus Christ. In this past Lord's Day, we defined propitiation as a sacrifice that appeases or satisfies God's holy wrath against sin. Uh, And when we think about the word propitiation, about appeasing wrath, we have to think about um, the pagan gods. So pagan gods were known for their volatile character, for being, uh, at a moment's notice, notice they could turn into a raging lunatic, pretty much. Um, And so their worshipers would always almost tread on eggshells, trying not to upset their gods. And whenever the gods were angry, they did everything they could to appease their anger. For example, if you remember the story of, of Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal in Mount Carmel, he called them up to show them to, to differentiate between who the real God is, the God of Israel, and the Baal, the God of Baal. And, and as the prophets of Baal were, made their sacrifice, they had the sacrifice on the altar, and they were dancing around calling on their God, Baal, to come down and to, and to bless the sacrifice, to consume it with fire. And Baal wasn't hearing them. And so upon Elijah's, I guess, holy tauntings, uh, they kept them yelling louder. And they, they got to the point where the Bible says in first, uh, first Kings chapter 18 that they would actually start cutting themselves and the blood would gush out in order to call attention to their God. They did everything they could to appease the, obviously, the obvious anger or apathy of their God, Baal. Because his God, Baal, was also the God of fertility, the God who brought rain. And for three and a half years, because of Elijah's word, it didn't rain. So obviously in their mind, God was angry. So we need to do something to appease or to satisfy, to calm down his anger. And that's the word of propitiation. It's something that appeases anger. But when we talk about biblical propitiation, specifically Christ's propitiation for our sins, it is nothing like the pattern of pagan gods. Because either in ancient mythology or even in current practices today, uh, God is not pleased, and His anger, His wrath, is not satisfied. But anything mankind can do, even even today, God is not pleased, and His wrath is not satisfied. When people crawl on broken glass for seems like miles, He is not pleased. His anger is not is not satisfied when people, through being deceived, give basically everything they have to a priest. Or to a padre, he is not satisfied. His anger is not satisfied when people go to crazy extremes to call for his attention. The only way that God's wrath can be satisfied, can be appeased, is through a perfect sacrifice. And the reason why he's not appeased by anything else is because no one else can give a perfect sacrifice. You see, in, in the Bible, propitiation is not something that we perform, that we can do, that we provide to God to get right with Him. It's actually the exact opposite. It is what God gives us in order to be right with God. It is something that He provides us at the expense of His own Son in order that we could have a personal relationship with Him. But neither is it the other way, and neither is it that Christ, through His propitiatory work on the cross through his sacrifice it's not as if he's trying to get an angry god to love us again it's not that at all because as we see before it was god who sent his son as first john 4:10 tells us to be the propitiation for our sins see god's god's wrath was to be poured out over sin and god's justice demanded that that wrath be satisfied Otherwise, he would cease to be holy. He would cease to be just. But in order for you and I to not have to suffer that wrath, he provided his son to satisfy the demands of his wrath. So, in a sense, God the Father, whose wrath needed to be satisfied, gave God the Son as satisfaction of that wrath of propitiation. So, God's own requirement, he fulfilled in himself. But it's that extreme that Christ went to, to be able to save us. And it's because of that love. There's a passage in Luke chapter 22. And this passage is the night before Jesus went to the cross. And he and his disciples went out from the upper room to the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Luke 22 verse 39 and following says this. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came came to the place, he said to them, to the disciples, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And we all knew how that went. Uh, They got sleepy and passed out probably like I would if if I were there. And it says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This is a passage that many of us recognize. We have heard it read before uh, where Christ is praying in the garden, and saying, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And we, we, we've heard about how he, his agony was so great that he started sweating mixed with drops of blood just to show the, the extreme nature of his suffering. And when Christ prayed to the Father and said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Remove this cup if you're willing. The question is, what was in the cup? You know, And I've heard people say, well, the reason why Christ was sweating drops of blood and he wanted this to pass from him because as God even though he is human, we can see that clearly here, but also as God, he was able to see ahead to the, to the whips, to the cat of nine tails. He was able to see ahead the suffering that was gonna be before him. He could see the crown of thorns ahead of time. He could see the nails that'd be driven through his hands and his feet. He could, he could see the suffering and the death that he was gonna go through. And, say, and that's why he was saying, Father, let this cup pass from me. But I would suggest that if we think that, then that is almost blasphemous. Because if we look at his followers, the disciples, and others that came after them, for some of them, short, a few years after the death of Christ, they would go to meet their death as martyrs, singing, rejoicing, considering it an honor to suffer and to die for the sake of the Lord. So if his disciples could, could confront death with joy and boldness, here in the garden, Jesus is a wimp and a coward? That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is not foreseeing the physical death and suffering that is associated with the cross. No, he realized that this is a different kind of cup. And the Old Testament helps us realize what was in the cup. For example, in Psalm 78, 75, excuse me, Psalm 75, verse 8, it says this. It says, for in the hand of the Lord, there is a cup foaming with wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So the psalmist tells us that the, the cup in the hand of the Lord is something that he pours out, and that all the wicked of the earth shall drink it, shall drain it down to the dregs. What is that? It's his wrath over sin. It's his judgment over sin. Another passage in Isaiah Chapter 51, verse 17 it says this: Wake yourself, wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk down from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. Once again, in Isaiah, the prophet is saying that the cup in God's hand is a cup of wrath poured out against unbelievers. And in this case, Jerusalem in their time of rebellion against God was even, in some sense, disciplined by the wrath of God. And then Jeremiah, chapter 25, verse 15, says says it again very similarly. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink of it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sore that I am sending among them. That's God's wrath. That's punishment for their sin. And so in the garden, Jesus considers this cup, the cup of God's wrath poured out over the sins of humankind. And he staggers at the thought of being separated from his father of bearing that kind of wrath, but yet he does it obediently. One, obedient to the Father, but two, for love, out of love for those who would come to Christ through faith, as it says in, in Hebrews chapter 12, that it was for the joy that was set before him that Christ endured the cross. He didn't rejoice in the act of suffering. He rejoiced in the knowledge that his sacrifice was what would allow mankind to be reconciled to God. It would appease the just wrath of God the Father. So on the cross of Calvary, Christ became, in a sense, an enemy of God, judged by the wrath of God for our sins. He emptied the cup of God's wrath so that we would not have to drink of it. John Flabe is, is a Puritan writer in the mid-1600s. And he wrote, as part of a sermon, um, what is called The Father's Bargain. Uh, several uh, Wednesdays ago, it's been several months probably, I, I read this in, as part of our lesson. But let me read it to you today. And this is, in his, in his sermon, John Flabel was is imagining the conversation, obviously hypothetical, it did not actually happen. But the conversation between God the Father and God the Son, deciding how they would save humanity. This is what he says. Here you may suppose the Father to say... When driving his bargain with Christ for you, the father, my son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly outdone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? And thus Christ returns the son. O my father, such is my love to and pity for them that rather than they shall perish eternally i will be responsible for them as their surety bring in all thy bills that i may see what they owe thee lord bring them all in that there may be no after reckonings with them at my hand shalt thou require it i will rather choose to suffer thy wrath than they should suffer it upon me my father Upon me be all their debt. Father, but my son, if thou undertake for them, thou must reckon to pay the last mite. Expect no abatements. That means a reduction or a lessening. If I spare them, I will not spare thee. The son, content father, let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it. And though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverish all my riches, empty all my treasures, for indeed it did. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, yet I am content to undertake it. John Flay will finish his message by saying this blush, ungrateful believers. Oh, let shame cover your faces. Judge in yourselves now. Has Christ deserved that you should stand with him for trifles? That you should shrink at a few petty difficulties and complain, this is hard or that is harsh. Oh, if you knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in this, his wonderful condescension for you, you could not do it. Obviously, that conversation did not actually happen, but it helps us see the love of God. And the sacrifice that Christ was willing to make for us, so see, propitiation is that divine provision by God's holy displeasure against alienated sinners is able to be appeased. His hostility with them is is removed, and a harmonious relationship is created and established between God and the repentant sinner. So reconciliation happens, as we've been talking about. Uh, last couple Sundays, because God was graciously willing to provide a way, to design a way, so that all the sins of those who are his can be removed from them as far as the east is from the west. Psalm one oh three, verse twelve. And God can cast all their sins into the depths of the sea, Micah seven nineteen. And he casts all their sins behind his back. Isaiah thirty-eight, seventeen may our understanding of what propitiation is do at least two things for us today. May it deepen our love and our commitment to Jesus Christ in first place. As I look back and see why Christ had to die for me, because it was my sin that deserved God's wrath. And I see all that I did that made his death necessary may I not return to those sins. May I love God even more today than I have yesterday. And may may I commit myself once again to be a faithful ambassador, to be a loving disciple. And second, may our understanding of propitiation embolden us to go out and share this incredible sacrifice with others who are still estranged from god still alienated from his goodness and his grace may it impel us to share and to be an effective ambassador and before we end i would encourage you if you want you can get a sneak peek of next week read on ahead in second corinthians chapter five verse 21 yes only one verse uh, we are going to be studying that next sunday next lord's day so thank you for listening today May God richly bless you until the next time we get to meet on Beyond the Notes.